everybody, and welcome to this episode of In Flight. I am your host, Sol Vashes. It has been a long time since I have sat down in front of the microphone and recorded an intro for everybody out there listening. I am so sorry for that. Uh, it has been very, very busy uh, in my personal life, so it has taken me a lot of time in order to actually get this out to you guys, um, get this episode out to you guys, and I apologize for that. I am definitely going to make sure that it doesn't happen in the future and since my schedule is clearing up it's a lot more easy to actually follow that so on this episode of the podcast we have tom from ixeg on the show um as i said it's been a while since i've been able to sit down so we recorded this quite a while ago uh if you keep tabs on ixeg's updates this was the update before last update that came out a week ago. So when he refers to some things, that's when he's uh, talking about. He's talking about an update that came out a few weeks ago. Um, Just so that, you know. Uh, But Tom was really fantastic to talk to. He had a lot of insight as to, you know, how X-Plane has grown because he's been in X-Plane for quite a long time. Uh, And he also uh, did a contract job for NASA, which was really interesting to learn about and just learn more about him um, and who he is. Uh, because, you know, I read so many forum posts from him, but I never really understand who the ac- the guy is who's actually developing um, the 733. And he really goes into detail uh, about some of the things that you might have been wondering about why IXCG came back, why it had to go on pause, and how everything is going right now. And also just some really interesting stuff about the systems as well. It really cleared up a lot to me um, as to why some of the issues that are present on the IXCG are there. Uh, It was really, really insightful. Um, I had a really great time talking to him. Norm had a really great time talking to him. And it was great to have him on the show. And I'm really excited for you all to listen to his episode and let me know what you guys think. Thank you guys so much for listening, as I said, and on with the show. Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you are one of the lead developers on the 737 um, made by IXEG. And you guys have been silent for quite a bit of time, but now you're back. Uh, and you guys have been working very hard. You released a, a new update uh, about a week or so ago at this point. Uh, how, has, how has that felt to be back into the development scene for X-Plane? Uh, actually, it feels wonderful. Uh, I've been in you know, X-Plane development since the early 2000s. And uh, it was something that I've always enjoyed doing, but uh, X-Plane market growth hasn't quite been able to uh, sustain that, that kind of, uh, you know, independence and the sole means of support for somebody like me who had four kids uh, growing up. But uh, about the time that the market started to scale up, it was, it was shortly before that, that I had committed to another endeavor uh, that I had to follow through with. And that's what caused the, the kind of breach in, in our time frame, but events being what they are, um, I'm, I'm kind of back and I feel that uh, I'm grateful the market's much increased. Um, it can sustain me and I think it's going to allow me to, to do what I set out to do in the very beginning. And that's work on this stuff full time. Oh, wow. I mean, I'm glad that we now have you back and have your full attention back to this airplane. Uh, I must admit that um, coming into X-Plane about three years ago, this was my very first payware, real payware that was of any value. And um, when you guys came out, 
I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I know. No, no, no. Don't be mad. Don't be sad because I had, this is what I learned. I learned uh, flying X-Plate on. I learned flying um, airliners on. And the, the level of modeling that you guys put into it and the sound and the texture quality to this day, I must say still stands up. I know you have tons of work to do, but I must tell you guys, man, wow, you guys got me into it. I mean, even Thank though you. you guys, oh yeah. So even though you guys have lots of work, lots to come on a roadmap that what we're probably going to be talking about, I just want to say, get this in here first, that this was my first pay wear and I love it. Uh, thanks Norm. It's definitely, uh, uh, it was definitely, uh, uh, you know, labor of love and passion uh, that, that put us onto that whole thing in the first place. Yeah. I, I also shared the same sentiment with Norm. Uh, and I also want to get this out of the way before we begin, uh, like really diving into your work at IXCG. Um, but the IXCG was one of my favorite planes when I purchased it, and it still is one of my favorite planes. So I shared the same sentiment. You guys have done a really fantastic job. And even though you have acknowledged that there's a lot to do, everything that you have done is amazing. And I know that the community has really appreciated it. And I appreciate it too, because I feel like it has also paved the way for third-party add-ons to really be better for all of us. Um, yeah, so how did the whole project start? Was it your idea? Was it, it who is your colleague's name again? Jan, right? Uh, Jan is German, Jan, so Jan. he goes by Jan, and and we all make that mistake. I've called him Jan. I think he he's used to it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he learned to fly here in America. Uh, you know, flying for Lufthansa, they train out in Arizona, so I'm I'm sure he's been called every name in the book. Um, <laughs> so uh, he he's really good about that kind of thing. Um, now it's a pretty interesting story how how it started. Um, you know, the payware scene wasn't wasn't really very big when I got started into X-Plane. It was all a hobby. And that, of course, that's what kind of uh, made the kind of uh, caused the community to, to, to coalesce into the, to the tight group that it was. But there was a, a small group of us that felt uh, in the early days that X-Plane just had a, a much smoother flight model. And, uh, you know, I could, I could actually land a plane in it, <laughs> even, yeah. though, even though the graphics weren't, weren't very good at the time. And uh, when I looked at it, it was uh, my take on it was it has the infrastructure there uh, to develop some really superior simulations, but they just didn't exist. So uh, an example that I give kind of very frequently is, uh, you know, before California became California, somebody had to move out there and develop it to make it appealing. And, and that's right. just the way it has to be. There's just no two ways around it. So when, when we got started in the early days of development and uh, Ben Supnick came on board with, with Laminar, he injected quite a bit of uh, stability into file formats and, and, and uh, things that X-Plane suffered from in the early days. He really stabilized and, and laid the groundwork for the rest of us to start doing some, some 3D stuff. So uh, when the... X-Plane came out with manipulators. That was kind of a really huge thing. It was a, uh, we take it for granted today, but, but back in 2000, I can't remember what it was, four or five, uh, it, it finally enabled us. It kind of put us in this playing field where, hey, we're starting to get a little closer to FSX and, and what it can do, what their expectations were. So that's kind of when I started the whole MU2 process. Um, but the market wasn't very big at the time. So we got into that. Several people got into that. We started X-Aviation and winning, winning we got into that, you know, line of, line of work, uh, mostly as a hobby. But then when FSX quit, uh, 
that was kind of a wake up call. I had already done the ME2 and I was working with a guy named Niels Danielson who did the BK helicopter. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, I'm not a big helicopter guy. Uh, but Niels, Niels is one of is is probably one of the most talented artists I've just ever met anywhere, and we both suffer from the same problem trying to do everything ourselves. We'd have to model it, we have to do the flight model, and all this other thing. So we got together, and we decided that we wanted to do a project. We were going to do a caravan. A caravan to this day sits on my desk, half done. We got mm. we got into that when the news of S- FSX um, canceling their team, you know, came down the came down the pipe so right we immediately got together and said you know it's only a matter of time then before uh, uh the fsx guys start to try x-plane that technology is going to wane over time and it's going to get old x-planes moving and we want to be ready for that we should consider doing an airline mm. so we uh, had another individual named morton melhus morton has been around next plane uh, and probably early 2000s if not earlier and, and I've known him for quite some time. And uh, he develops flight models, um, really technical individual, and uh, is uh, very anal retentive on his uh, expectations on the flight model. So the three of us got together and decided to do a 737. Now, we were originally going to think about doing an NG, but at the time, mm-hmm. there was a X737 project, and they were working on it, and we decided we, we didn't want to step on their toes right, uh, in, right. in retrospect. You know, I'm like, well, man, maybe maybe we should have done that one. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, that that's neither here nor there. There's a lot of us uh, airline types or, or uh, pilot aficionados that like, you know, a little bit of steam gauge, a little bit of glass. You kind of get this fix of button pushing, but you get a little bit of glass. So yeah. the, the 300 uh, filled a really nice niche uh, in that respect. And I couldn't tell you how he came across Jan. I, I don't think I did. Somebody else did. And, of course, he was a, a Dash 300 pilot and mm-hmm. uh, was into X-Plane. And we managed to get him on board. And then uh, we had a fifth individual that, that we had on board that was helping out for a little while. It, eventually, it didn't work out. Um, he wasn't mm-hmm. with us for very long. So it was really kind of the four of us. And we got started. And the whole impetus was that um, we felt like the x-plane land or the flight sim landscape uh was lacking what we'll call total immersion and this is where probably gonna get a little geeky if you if you look at something and you say well it's not real then that's because there's some element of fidelity that's missing right and fidelity can run the gamut there's there's oral fidelity there's visual fidelity um tactile mm-hmm. fidelity you've got all these elements that makes your brain say oh I, I that looks real or it doesn't look real and a lot of developers can excel at one uh or the other but there really wasn't a product that excelled at all of them indeed to this day there's not even ours has all these shortcomings but having done all the work uh meaning that i've, I've done the programming the flight model uh i've done the 3d the texturing the modeling Mm-hmm. The, one of the hardest things to go back and do to fix up is, is the 3D modeling. Like if your FMS was busted and your code's busted, you get in, you type a few lines and you can fix it. And it's a, right. it's a quick deployment and you can make some rapid changes. But going through and changing your 3D model or retexturing or going to higher resolution, really, really, really difficult. Uh, and, and it takes a long time for a company. If they want to go back and redo their models, that's an enormous endeavor. And that usually ends up in some version 2.0 type of product. 
for these D, mm-hmm. you know. So we thought, well, let's let's get the 3D really, really fancy and let's get the sounds really fancy. That's lacking. And uh, and then we would try to, uh, you know, bring all the systems online uh, after the fact. So then we just kind of dived in. Uh, we were all doing it part time. Of course, I had a job. I was working for Laminar uh, at the time, I think. I think I worked for them for four years. Uh, and I had, uh, but I've always been a contractor. I always have a foot. Uh, it's just one of the bad things that, that happened is, is I think I was hired by three other people in the contracting and I would kind of bounce around between, um, you know, whoever needed me the most. But, but for the most time, it was, it was predominantly laminar. Right. Uh, so everybody else had a real job. Um, so we kind of did it as a hobby and that's kind of why it took so long. Uh, but somewhere in the middle, we lost an individual who was working on the FMS and we had to kind of pick up the mantle. And uh, that was uh, a bit of a challenge. We had to swap tech and we had to kind of move kind of quick. It wasn't the most ideal situation, but we had to patch that situation uh, as best we could. Um, so we, we lost a couple of years uh, doing that. I think the project ended up taking five and a half, six years before from our first day to our in release. And we can account for three of those years that we didn't work on it. Uh, you know, family matters or whatever it was, we put it down. But we definitely have right. a, we definitely had a solid three man years uh, into it, and we were using um, you know Blender two point four nine, and we had written some of our own tools and we wrote our own sound engine too because Xplane just didn't have a very good sound engine. They they, they weren't using FMod, right? Uh, so we like yeah. well let's let's write our own sound engine. So that's so we did. Uh, and it's it bit us a little bit or it's biting us a little bit, but. Um, that that's just kind of the way it goes, you know, in the world of technology. So we developed all that stuff, and um, we finally came to a point where, uh, I mean, we had to move. You know, there, there's we really wrestled with putting it out, knowing that were some shortcomings. But uh, we were at this very um, precarious point where it's like if we don't put it out, we're in danger of never getting it out uh, and and missing the opportunity. So. We took a little bit of heat for that. That's that, that's part of it. When you when you you know sell products to the public, whether it's this or any other endeavors I've done, um, expectations run high, and you, you just got to kind of have a thick skin and push through it. Our our attitude has always been one where we're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep giving updates for free, so until we give them what they want, mm-hmm. and at least we we will have felt like you know that we've done a a pretty fair job on it. So uh, that's how we got started in the 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 IXG733. And that's how we ended up on that model. Wow. So, I mean, so many questions just listen to you tell that story. I mean, that's why it's called International Explain Engineering Group, because you guys are truly international from all over. Sweden and Norway, yeah. Uh, and then there was one from Spain, too. So, how, how do you recover from losing somebody who is writing the FMS code? I mean, do you have to get somebody else who understands that code? Or, I mean, how hard yeah, that it's, is? it's a real, uh, it, it was a real challenge. Um, you know, I've never to this day. This is great. You know, I've never been an FMS guy. I still don't know how to use them very well. Uh, even, <laughs> really? Even even though I uh, even though I end up most of the code, but that's because I'm always looking at one you know particular feature at a time. Um, and so yeah, recovering it w- was difficult. We lost some expertise, and uh, so we had to set about doing it, uh, not understanding, let's say, the full scope of uh, what they could do. And, and and when you don't understand the full scope of what you're trying to model in code. Uh, then you then you run a little bit of danger of not um, structuring your your data model, you know, for those programmers out there, not structuring your data structures to to represent the model very well, 
and that can cause problems down the road, uh, which it has for us uh, lightly. The data that we use is this XML format, and I think I think it was chosen for us, for lack of a better term, by the original individual. Uh, and I couldn't tell you why. I couldn't remember who else was using the data set, but they had gotten in pretty deep. So by the time we picked it up, uh, you know, we had to work with a data set that wasn't very optimal. It, it was very difficult to work with. Um, it, just, it just made it challenging. And, we're, you know, we still have it to this day, and uh, we will be switching. And I've got a lot of code towards that end. Uh, but, of course, it'll take a little time uh, to get there. I mean, question question about the fmc are you guys actually rewriting it or are you handling it going forward yeah yeah i'm actually rewriting it i have a parallel uh branch uh of, of software that uh, i started from and it's it's mid-process and at point i had two i had my code running on the left of fms and our current code running on the right which is the equivalent of two independent CPUs. I mean, it's not just a mirroring of the data. I could, I could run one route on one and run another route on the other. Um, but that was, uh, that code still sits and it is the foundation. And as, as this product stabilizes with this update and we get some of the obvious stuff like reverse scroll wheels out of the way, <laughs> once we get uh, the obvious stuff, then, <laughs> then uh, what'll happen is I'll partition, and I've got like four or five things that I'll work on in parallel, and I'll partition my time. You know, so many hours a day, and uh, the, the FMS will be challenged because I'm trying to improve the algorithms on the one that's there while I'm still trying to write a replacement. Uh, so, so that that'll be a bit of a challenge. Now, that being said, there's some really good things coming out of it. Um, the the new FMS code will be a little more FMS model agnostic, which it means I can easily adapt it to a uh, different model of FMS should I want to do an aircraft that has a different FMS in the future. So mm -hmm. it, it, has a, it has a little bit of bonus, plus I have the benefit of hindsight. Uh, so I can code it up a heck of a lot faster and I can structure it a heck of a lot better. So it's already using the uh, X-Plane 11 data set. Uh, it already peruses all the Airing 424 data sets. So it's a good foundation for moving forward. But it's it's going to sit a little bit in the wings while we improve the uh, the product that we have specifically you know the holds and the VNAV the progress those algorithms I'll be able to transfer to the new product those won't change so it 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 doesn't really uh, hamper me too much working on our current code base those algorithms uh, because I can port them over later. I mean I must say you said earlier that um you guys concentrated on the uh, flight model the modeling and the was it three D textures and the sound. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is because I think it's the first plane and X-plane that actually felt alive, like you were in the plane and you got the right combination. And I, based on that, I judged every other airplane that came out on that. You know, well, like, we did. Oh. And that's, I, th I think so too. And that's not just saying because we did it. You know, remember, we, we kind of were setting out to build our own, we like to say we're setting out to build our own simulation in a way. Uh, I think a lot of people start that way and it's, it's certainly valid. And, uh, you know, Niels is responsible for a lot of that. He textured uh, the cockpit and he he's just an unbelievable artist and he mixed all the sounds as well. So I wrote the sound engine from a technical level and, and the goal was, well, let me give you a tool that you can then use to implement the sounds that you've engineered. And so I don't want to say I wrote the sound engine that we generated the sounds. Niels generated all the sounds. He sampled some and he, and he created his own. 
I gave him the code to work with. And then he weaved that into the effect that you hear. And it's just, even today when I fly it, uh, you know, we're going to port to FMOD for compatibility. Uh, but to be honest with you, I still like our sound engine better. I think it's uh, it's easier and faster for me to implement sounds uh, with my own code base. And I honestly think we have a couple of features uh, that FMOD doesn't. Not not from the not from the replay aspect. Uh, FMOD's got some incredible spatial and real time filtering functions, um, but we have a lot more control over over like uh, a fall off in, in where the sound plays uh, that we can write in code. And, and we're going to lose that when we go to FMOD, but at the same time, uh, it's infinitely capable, FMOD is, and it's just going to be a little bit longer process. But once done, uh, then we don't have to worry about the future. Because right now, I think they're dropping support for OpenAL and X-Plane 12. So we're, we're kind of on the clock to get uh, switched over to FMOD sounds. So basically, I shouldn't worry then when you guys switch to FMOD that you're going to still have that same warm sound feeling that the plane has now. Well, the, the, the idea is, you know, we're going to go through and audit all our sounds and our code that uh, we use to play the sounds. And, and we'll try to put that into a list of parameters that we can then simply feed into FMOD. So with any luck, it won't sound any different. I think you'll get a little, the only, if, if we do a really good job, you'll get a little bit of, a little bit more of left, right type of effects with FMOD that you don't get with ours. I'm not a, I'm not a giant fan of it. I think it's a, kind of an overplayed effect, but it, it's, it's yeah. not a bad, it's not a bad thing. It's kind of six of one and half a dozen of the other. Um, so yeah, that's the idea. Take the sounds that we do have, all those WAV files, and uh, just move them over with the same parameters. And, and we just let FMOD play them instead of OpenAL. And uh, yeah, with any luck, it'll sound the same, if not a little bit better. Wow, awesome. I mean, I, I totally agree with Norm. Your aircraft was the first one that came out that actually had amazing sounds because, you know, you I'm sure you see it these days. The sound packs are very, very widely accepted in our community, our small little explain community, because it seems like developers focus more on the system depths than they do sound. And I think it's actually really cool that you're talking about your specific sound, um, the way that you've programmed sounds, your sound engine, because I hadn't even thought that you guys had made your own sound engine, but it seems like you guys like did the whole gamut, which, I mean, really, at this point, actually makes sense, considering how like far ahead your plane was at the time that it was uh, released, and also the time that it is now. I, I'd say it's still ahead of a lot of add-ons that exist out there. Uh, like I said, we really like it. Uh, you know, if FMOD wasn't in, we'd certainly be sticking with it. Um, we've we've grown quite fond of it. And, of, of course, you know, one of the major reasons is, uh, you know, all existing code, we don't have to work with a, a third party and generate, uh, you know, all these files. We literally copy a wave into a folder and we, we get in code and we kind of type in all the parameters that controls its sound relative to the camera uh, because our, you know, our sound engine has a lot of... Um, a lot of vector math in it that, that keeps track of where the camera is and right you know that's 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 normal stuff when it comes to sound the flyby sound when i do an out exterior shot uh, at altitude i mean everybody loves it i, I can't take any credit for that uh, just nets kneels all the way uh you know he's starting to play around again uh in his own hobby he has some uh, I think I've seen some videos of him recently on the org doing his supersonic flybys. And if you didn't know that was him or you've seen the videos, you'll just, you can know that's him. And that when he starts playing with sound, special things start to happen. So most of the, are most of the people who were 
originally working on the project still on board with you guys or is the team a lot smaller now? No, the, the team's pretty much kind of uh, dropped down to me and Jan for the uh, yacht. Listen, uh, he's going to kill me for that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's pretty much uh, dropped down to me and Jan. Um, uh, it, you know, just life kind, kind of gets in the way. And, and one of the things we couldn't foresee that it's really hard and it's not it's not necessarily an excuse we we had really pushed um you know blender to the limit uh as to what it can do and and kind of right there in the middle towards the end of the project it got very cumbersome uh we had written our own custom scripts to manage some of the projects um i mean the aspects of the project and it was very it was very unwieldy very cumbersome uh little things would break and of course x-plane wasn't as vol as evolved as it was now so it, right. it got to be where even little things that would break it would require uh, very cumbersome fixes. And it got to be a little difficult. And uh, along the line, uh, you know, all these guys I work with are incredibly talented in their own right, not just an X-Plane. Like I said, they, we all have jobs and they're, we're all really good at the jobs that we do. And, uh, you know, Neil's ended up getting a promotion and, and uh, doing some other things. And uh, Morton, who originally did the flight model, uh, once the flight model was kind of set, his, his job was kind of done, right? So right. Uh, he's, he's still around on the forums, uh, poking around. But, of course, he's a, a successful businessman and does well in his own right as well. So uh, Jan and I are, you know, my kids are out of the house. It's funny how things swap. When, when my kids were kind of in their <clears throat> years before leaving the house, you know, you come home, you they take all your money. You can't do anything. So, you, <laughs> you, you know, you get on the computer to fill the time and Jan had really young kids, but now it's kind of reversed. Uh, my kids are out of the house and his, uh, his are a little bit older. So he's killing lots of time on the computer now. So he has time to kill, uh, as well. So yeah, it's, it's mostly he and I that are kind of doing the mantle and, um, is what it is. We'll just keep on moving. I mean, uh, speaking about time and dedicating your time to this and dealing with families and juggling careers and stuff like that, uh, kind of a side question. I mean, how do you guys handle criticism as a developer? I mean, including some from me too. You know, I, I, live, I live stream your plane and I will continue to do it. I always do. I always love flying it. But anytime there's a little niggle somewhere, like for instance, the reverse scroll wheel thing, I was like, what the hell's going on? Now I know the backstory to it, but still. Right, that's a fair question. And uh, everybody deals with it a little bit different, uh, to be honest with you. And uh, I've, you know, I mean, I'm an engineer and I've been building, designing and, and producing products for a long time before X-Plane and other, and other markets. And uh, everybody's different. Now, the, the markets have never been as big as they are here. You're just going to deal with everybody's personality. And um, there's people out there like myself as a consumer of software, right? Software uh, never stops changing. I, I, I'm a Macintosh user and it, it'll crash on me. And you, you know, and I didn't call up Steve Jobs and saying, you know, you don't, don't sell me a product that's gonna crash. Um, mm -hmm. AutoCAD, it's just the nature of software. The best that you can ask for is that you've got a team that kind of responds quickly. And that's unfortunate. Like I said, it's unfortunate for you that you got in at a time. Uh, <laughs> when when I, I, it was not a joke. I literally kind of committed to this the startup endeavor for this NASA thing, probably about nine months before the 737 came out. And they were gracious enough to wait uh, for us oh, to wow. put it out. But towards the end, I was getting an enormous pressure saying, you know, look, you, you promised that, that you would do this. And of course, when we were nine months prior to release, 
we weren't exactly sure when it was going to be released. It was just an awkward situation for everybody. Um, you know, and we had our internal discussions about releasing it or not. Uh, but in my mind, the fact of the matter was if we didn't release it, it wasn't going to get released and I'd never be back. Uh, I'd, I'd have to move on to stuff because it wouldn't generate any money if we never released it. And I wouldn't be here today being able to work on it. So there's some people whose thought is, well, something's better than nothing. And then there's other mindsets that says, well, uh, I'd rather have it complete than, than not at all. And I think they're both fair, but uh, the ultimate thing is, well, you, you simply can't please everybody. But as somebody who's produced products, um, usually the products that I have, I've had pretty good reputation outside of this of, of, of being able to understand the customer's needs and giving them what they want, even if it's not on their own time frame. So even if some people don't like it, there's a lot of people who still derive an enormous amount of value and make no mistake, at the end of the day, it's a business. If, if the money doesn't come in, then, then we can't afford to work and you'll never get a product. So, right. so you, you, could, you could look at it, say, from a philosophical and say, well, yeah, I'm so sick of all the problems, but let's say we fast forward, you know, 12, 14 months and the FMS working beautifully and you get to see all the new 3D that we're going to be putting in that looks like the cockpit. And you're like, wow, if we would have demanded this up front, we would never even be here at all. You wouldn't even have right. it. And that's different for every, everybody else. Um, I just I happen to have a relatively uh, thick skin. So uh, the team members have developed the thick skin, <laughs> so, uh, but, but you keep moving. I mean, that's, that's the expectation. I mean, yes, we do. You, you, you put out good money and there's stuff missing and it's, and we're going it, to, it's, I'm not going to say better late than ever. That's, that's horrible. And that would upset some people. It's, I like to tell people it is what it is. We're going to keep working at it the best that we can. Uh, I am very happy that we're back and that we have time to work on it. That, that, to me, that's something I'm not going to look back. Uh, it's, that's just pointless. Uh, when somebody, when we, when we get these posts that say, yeah, no, <laughs> you know, you've had, you've had three or four years to do it. I'm just like, and, you know, and <laughs> yeah. And I get it. You're frustrated. Okay. Knock yourself out. I mean, just, just go to town. I, I, and when you're done, it's like, good, I'm, I'm going to go back to work for you. And then that's so what are you going to do? Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what are you going to do? I have, you know, I have software I use that I pay for that doesn't have features that I need. And you you just have to find a workaround. You just have to stay positive and find ways to keep moving. Um, And then when it finally is delivered and people get to, you know, savor that whatever it is that they were wanting for so long, they're like, ah, then they tend to forget the past, especially if they didn't have to pay for it. Now, if you have to cough up a, a fee, that'll sting. But once people have it, so our, our goal is to get there as fast as we can. So that's that's paramount in our discussions. So we prioritize. We, we literally have a list of, of what the biggest complaints are. And we have to somehow address those issues while still trying to make sure that we can move to X-Plane 12 with F-Mod, which nobody's complaining about our sounds. But if, you know, imagine what's going to happen if everybody uh, updates to 12 and all of a sudden our plane won't has no sounds anymore. You know, so it's like, well, you know, we can't ignore it. Uh, We're going to have to deal with it. Uh, So uh, we'll find a way to get it done. Now, you mentioned NASA like a a few minutes ago. Is that you work at NASA? Well, no, I've always been self-employed. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of a long story. Uh, So so when I was working for Laminar, you know, President Obama had opened up space initiative, which we're, we're seeing that now with SpaceX. 
you know, as commercial right. space. And I've got a, a friend of mine I went to school with um, uh, who worked for NASA for 20 years. And NASA was, was opening up um, opportunities on the space station for commercial endeavors. And, right. And uh, he called me up one day and, and said, well, you know, we're working with Airbus Space Division and we've got some of this new software that will allow us to kind of talk to the space station almost as easy as, as we're talking here. Basically a, a network connection. Right. Um, and, and that's a big thing for commercial, you know, but prior to that, I'm not even, I can't even describe to you if you wanted to conduct an experiment on the space station remotely, I, I, I don't, I couldn't even tell you how imminently difficult it was with 1960s um, network technology, but uh, they were looking to up their game and he called me up and said, Hey, can you, you know, I'm part of a small startup here. Can you uh, come help out with this software? So I did on a contract capacity. And as I did, I started to meet a few people in the industry um, and the per the company that was contracting to was kind of new to the business. Right. And uh, they had a couple of shortcomings uh, uh, to phrase it nicely. I don't think they were ready to do the, the, the work that they had set out to do. And it caused the customer to be a little unhappy. Um, so I, in my capacity there, I managed to solve a few problems for them. And, and they were like, why don't you just start a business and, you know, we'll contract you instead. So we're like, okay, that's what we did. <laughs> that's what we did. Yeah. So, so we did it. So we, we started a business uh, with two other partners uh, and to uh, do biological research on the space station. For, so for a couple of years, my job as the engineer was to design it and build it. And trying to get something wow. on the space station is not an easy task. Well, put it, put, put it this way, you know, I think uh, I'd, I'd die, for, you know, to me, aircraft, terrestrial aircraft certification would probably be a breeze. Uh, so yeah. it was, uh, it was pretty. So yeah, once I got involved and committed, like I said, the commitment was made uh, nine months before the IXCG came out. So it was a, a very awkward situation because it, it ended up, um, it ended up taking a lot of my time. I had a couple of business partners who weren't very technical and, and we kind of suffered from. Uh, the sales team selling my time. They're like, oh, we'll have that for you on this date, uh, except I was the one that was having to do the engineering. And so uh, that, that was a very difficult two years, but but we got it built. We got it on the space station. It's still on the space station now. And it's 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 doing, you know, cell research for whoever wants to wants to do it. Mm -hmm. But once it was kind of built, then, uh, you know, that that took nearly three, three and a half years of my life. And that's that was the dead zone um, because I had written a lot of the code. And uh, it was just really, really unfortunate for the team uh, and, and the customers especially. And, and I, I do feel bad about that. Uh, but like I said, it, it, it is what it is. Uh, so once it kind of uh, went up there and things slowed down, my role, my role kind of slowed down a little bit. And then uh, I said, well, it, while I was, I think my last year there is when I started rewriting the FMS and a couple of other things. And uh, then it just so happened that, that I, I finally told them, you know, there's nothing more for me to, to do here. I'm done. And I uh, kind of started working on the 737 again. And that's, that's kind of when I got back into it, when I got to a point where I felt like I could uh, pick up the work again. Uh, then Jan and I got together and, and we started it back up. So that, that was the, when you're on the forums, that's that long porting process. And uh, right. I can't even begin to describe to you how. How painful that is to have to dissect, you know, 600 manipulators and check all the data rests and we got to move them and reorganize them. Uh, we had, geez, 80, 90 megabytes of gigabytes 
of, of like mm -hmm. 3D data, we had to move to the new, uh, the new blender. And that was an incredibly long painstaking process and clean up the textures. Uh, but we finally did. And you can see, I mean, it's, I, I finally, for the first time, feel like we were when we first released it, we had fast release cycles. Uh, the engineer, yeah. the engineer in me says, you know, what good is it? You know, if our tools aren't fast, what's the point? When somebody says, I want you, can you fix this? And I can come back, you know, 40 minutes later in the forum and say done, then, then that's the tool chain that we need. So we, right. we put a lot of effort in that, knowing that it's, it's going to be better for customers in the long run that we can do that. And I think we're just about there. So uh, we've, we've got another update coming out probably uh, in the next day or two, hopefully. Um, we'll see. I'm, I'm hitting the button. I'm waiting for that update, man. I yeah, I mean, there, it's logistics and there's a load time and some other things. Some, you know, we're not always exactly sure when, when it's going to hit. We, we kind of, we, we send it up the chain and, and say, you know, whenever's good. And then, of course, real life uh, and other factors come into play, but it's, it's relatively imminent. And, uh, you know, once that's done, we'll, we'll go right back to work. Jan and I already have our to-do list on the, on the next patch and, and, uh, yeah, we're off and running. Literally somebody to, to just message me in my discord, say, Hey, here's a new, um, delivery 40 IXCG. When are you going to fly it? And my response was, as soon as the update come out, I'll be flying this new delivery that they just made. How often, let me ask you this question, two, two part question. How often do you think you'll be dropping updates or is that just dependent on what needs to be done and how long it takes. And also, are we somewhat spoiled because of the 737NG in uh, X-Plane, the Zebo updates? Uh, yeah, probably, probably a little bit of both. Um, <laughs> the, I mean, the way we go about it is, you know, we obviously have our big ticket items, and that's, that's the phrase we call them, big ticket. The, the, you know, right. uh, going to FMOD's big ticket, FMS rewrites big ticket. Uh, brand new 3D cabins, relatively big ticket, but not as big as you'd think. It's, that's kind of on the short list. Um, so we have our big ticket items, but, you know, we still rely quite a bit on, on the community to, to catch things. And unless you've been on our side of the fence, it's, it's kind of hard to describe. People say, well, you, you need to test these things. And I, I, I mean, I can give you an example. Um, if, okay. if you... <laughs> I can't even begin to describe this. If I'm going to test a feature like, uh, you know, let's say you have a disc discontinuity in your FMS and you want to fly past the discontinuity and then fly past the next waypoint. And, you know, Jan's like, well, this is the way the thing behaves. Then you could say, okay, well, I'm going to test that and I got to get in the sim and fly it and I got to test it. And I can use the map to speed things along, but that might be a 15 minute test. And then and, and yeah. let, let's say I have a bug and that's only on one route. And, and, it, these routes have peculiarities all over the world. You, you really have to say, oh, I'm going to try this. I'm going to fly these many routes. I'm going to try this many combos. I'm going to try to fly that same path, but this time I'm going to put a, a, a waypoint restriction on it. Well, the next thing you know, you start saying 15 minutes per test, this many tests, this many permutations, this many, uh, and I should try it at this many airports. Okay, testing this one new feature is going to take me four weeks. You, you, it just it doesn't add up. You know, there's yeah. o there's over four hundred thousand like waypoints in the database, but you start putting it out. There, there are people that are going to come back with something uh, they're going to find in two days that you wouldn't find in a year. And, and so it's it's at a critical part of the process. And 
like I said, it's incumbent upon us to, to address that quickly now that we're back. And, and so, so as far as the updates go to address the question, um, so we'll have our big ticket items that we're working on, but then we kind of wait and see what the community comes at, comes back with. And they say, oh, you forgot this, you missed this, you did that. And if we can have a little list of quality of, of, of flight, or if we say, okay, these little changes, um, you know, will really enhance their quality, then yeah, we'll do a relatively, relatively quick update. Um, we definitely want to do relatively quick updates, but we're not putting the updates on a schedule. In other words, we don't say we're going to do an update every week, right? We say, what's a worthwhile update for you guys to get and, and get there as fast as we can. Now, that being said, there's enough to-dos where internally, and, and you quote me on it, but I'm not making any promises, where I you know, told Jan, I said, you know, we've got enough where we ought to be able to put out something meaningful uh, at least once a month. Whether it's, mm -hmm. whether it's the, the, you know, the 3D doors, then the front galley, and then the rear galley, and then the cabin in between. We don't, have to, we don't necessarily have to wait for all that to be done at once. Now, some people will want that, right? They're like, just wait till it's all done, where there's other people who will enjoy it in a piecemeal fashion. I, I, I like that way, because then it, it feels like you keep on getting progress here. And here and well, there. yeah, and then you know what? It's our product, and that's the way we like it, so that's the way we're going to do it. <laughs> that's, awesome. where the, <laughs> that's, that's where the thick skin comes, that's where the thick skin comes in. Uh, but yes, it, it does, does kind of put out the message that, that we're making progress. Uh, uh, and, and as far as Zebo, I couldn't speak to it. Uh, you know, I don't know how many people they have, they have working on it. And uh, uh, I, I am pretty picky about, about our code base, you know, that we use. Uh, ironically, uh, I was telling Jan, I think there's a lot of features that we put into it that never, people never get to see. Jan is, is you, ever, uh, you ever seen that movie Airplane 2? Yeah. Yeah. There's a scene where a little kid goes in there and he starts playing with all the controls and the space shuttle. He ends up, it's like a video game, right? But he's turning every single knob he's in front of his face. Uh, you know, Jan's like that. And he'll try stuff uh, that nobody else tries and he'll break it. And then I got to end up trying to fix it. And nobody in the field will ever see it. Um, and we're, we're pretty picky, but it's how the real thing behaves. So, for instance, are you familiar with, say, a, a, like a, a double bypass or a triple bypass waypoint situation? No. Yeah, most people don't see that. So our code handles a bypass. Uh, and, and this is a situation where if you're flying to a waypoint and you got two waypoints, uh, actually a guy, a guy posted in the forums, you might have seen it, and the LNAV drew a circle. And he was like, well, it's not supposed to draw a circle. And, and he's right. So what he did was he, he, he did a shortcut on a route where he turned to a point and he was flying towards a point and then it was a flyby waypoint. But at the speed he was flying, the radius of, of the turn is big and it's so big, he ends up, and when I do the calculations, it can't make the next waypoint. It will still be in the middle of the turn when it passes the next waypoint. So oh. what, the FMA, what the FMC does is it bypasses and it says that's bypass and you look in the legs page, it'll say bypass. And then the FMC has to go on and figure what the interception angle is to the next leg. And if that point's too close, then you get a double bypass situation. And you got to calculate the, then you got to calculate the intercept to the third leg down the way. And you got to do that. Uh, and then if you get a third bypass, then the guy who designed the route did a horrible job and you're supposed to get a disco. Uh, but we do, uh, but we, we do a uh, triple bypass, uh, like a double bypass situation, but nobody ever sees it. Uh, but it's got to be there because if you don't, then the FMS wouldn't behave right. Uh, and a lot of times it's transparent. 
it's it's remarkable just listen to you talk about the different things that's necessary to make the stuff work uh it's remarkable i mean this is some serious programming going on here you know for me to just jump in in san diego and fly up to san francisco and punch a button up couple of buttons in the FMC and it takes me there automatically, you know, we don't think. Yeah, it's, it, it really is hard to explain because simple in the end, it's a simple magenta line and it takes a lot of behind the scenes to make sure it, it can draw something. Uh, I mean, it's not until you get into uh, linear algebra and spherical trigonometry where you realize that um, even a, a number off uh, the slightest decimal can, can, can throw your route out of rack. Uh, one of the more difficult things we have to do is uh, when we evaluate a waypoint, we have to we have to calculate whether or not we can make that waypoint before we draw the route. So we actually have to, in a way, we have to scope ahead and make sure that when you come out of the turn, it's before the next waypoint. And I, some of the worst bugs I've had is I would get some data, I would calculate this turn, and the route wouldn't work, and I would calculate that the the, the airplane was coming out of the turn, the very last point on the turn, like 0.01 nautical miles past the second waypoint. And so it couldn't make the waypoint and it was causing problems in my code. And I, and I had to get down to about four decimal levels to realize that, you know, the number was, was too high. And uh, that's the kind of stuff we just have to debug. You just have to work your way through it. Jeez. And then included in that, I mean, I, I, by the way, I love the videos that are put out before the update comes out just to show us the, um, the audience what's new because, yeah, we can read a list of stuff, but half of them we probably don't know. But if you show it to us like you do with a video, we'll love that. Jan's real big on that. Uh, in fact, he's working on that right now. <laughs> awesome. Now, we appreciate that. Funny, but one of the things that he was showing was somebody found a rendering um, anomaly or something or rendered wrong in the wheel well on the pump. I mean, I saw that one he was talking about. I couldn't believe it. You know, well, and the, you know, that was John. He puts on his dumb, he puts on his VR goggles and he starts acting like a mechanic and he's, he's got his head behind the panel and he's like, Hey, you missed this spot. And Hey, you missed that spot. <laughs> and it's like, man, uh, you know, what's interesting though is, is, you know, we look at it now when I, when I was in the process of, uh, putting it back together in the, in the new version of blender, it's, you know, I don't know if you've ever done this. You go back and you look at your old work and you say, oh, it's just horrible. And, and you know how good it could yeah, be. Right. And, and that's, you know, that's what we're set. Uh, and of course, X-Plane performance has improved. I mean, remember, we started this 10 years ago and we had all sorts of limitations of, in these heuristics. Is like, well, you know, don't go over this many polygons. Don't, don't use textures. You know, if you use textures this big, you're going to have problems. Uh, now, those are almost, almost gone. So, you know, we have kind of carte blanche to say, you know, the high quality we put into the cockpit can now be put into the rest of the aircraft. So that's, that's high on the to-do list. Um, wow. You know, so the main galley has been modeled forever. I never got around to texturing, but the, you know, the main galley has, has been modeled to the same level as the cockpit. And, and so as the, uh, the main cabin door. So that's, that's actually kind of next on my plate, right? Cause uh, the doors are a big deal. And uh, so now we get to bring that kind of level back into it. And of course we're going to be fun and facetious. We're going to, you know, put in the functionality for the attendant panel and, uh, you know, we'll be able to fire up the coffee maker and you'll be able to see that, you know, you'll be able to see the, uh, uh the ovens, the oven load on the generator and the, the coffee load and all that fun stuff, just because it's, why not? Right. Wow. Those old, 
old school coffee pots that I used to use to bang ice and break it up in the galley. <laughs> I love that. Well, yeah, I mean, X-Plane, you know, they got that shiny texture now. It's like I don't have to fake that mirror. I can put it on there and, you know, we can put some fancy lights and we can go back and work the coffee maker if we want to. Uh, did Vulcan affect you guys any or? Um... Uh, well, no, only for the better. Not, not from a programmatic, uh, you know, Ben Supnick and, and Sid, the programmers uh, who are responsible, have worked really hard uh, to try to not affect us at, at all. So, you know, you know, Vulcan has implications for uh, those products that draw outside the airplane uh, in three-dimensional space, but people who draw to the panel texture, which is what we use for our EFIS, are, are largely unaffected. Um, and it kind of had to be that way. We have so many products that do that. It's just not kind of a feature. So um, we just benefit from it like everybody else. We, you know, we got smooth experiences and faster frame rates, and, you know, we're loving it. <laughs> A wider question. Um, do you like the direction of X-Plane and how they're handling things and where they're going with it um, as a developer? Uh, keep in mind that, that I've, uh, you know, I've been around them for a long time. I mean, one of my favorite stories is when, you know, Ben Supnick came on board and they were a really small team. And I was just learning to program in C. Um, you know, I'd call up Ben. Uh, me and another guy named Alex Gifford. Now, Alex, Alex worked for Laminar 2, and he and I worked together on, on X-Plane 10. Uh, when that, we both worked for Laminar, and he did, I did a lot of the airport scenery on the airport and the Lego bricks, and he did all the houses and Autogen stuff. And he and I were kind of learning to code at the same time, and uh, we flew out to Boston, yeah, where Ben lives, and you know, slept on his couch in his bedroom, and, and he kind of showed us the ropes. Um, and... Um, that was a lot of fun experience and we, we became good friends. Uh, and, and it was that experience that kind of led to me working for Laminar. So I had already had this connection with how they were going about things. And I used to have this saying, so in the early days uh, when payware was just coming out next plane, you know, a lot of the FSX guys were, uh, you know, if that's the best X plane is, then, you know, how can you even bother to compare it? But I was looking at it more from, um, an, uh, an, an infrastructure point of view of what it could do. Uh, yeah. I said, you know, it is a superior flight engine. And I was watching Ben put in an all, but it was my California illusion earlier. We had all these tools, but nobody had built anything glamorous with it yet. But I, I right. could see the tools that he was building. And it's like, we just need somebody who can build something to show uh, the world what X-Plane is capable of. And so, right. uh, so yeah, I've, I've always been uh, kind of on their page or the direction that they're going. Um, they, like a lot of us who do this thing, we're, we're kind of OCD um, and the growth has kind of put strains, but I, I think they've grown with, uh, uh, they've grown incredibly well. And uh, when I left Laminar, they've got some really talented guys uh, to come in uh, to do the work as well. And so, yeah, I, it's just a great family. I love the product. I love its fluidity. I love the way it looks. You know, I, I, I still enjoy X-Plane immensely. I mean, do you, I mean, I know you're talking about time and stuff, but do you even have any time to even fly for fun in X-Plane at all? Heck no. <laughs> That's what I thought, you know. <laughs> now, I, I, ironically, with the kids out of the house, you know, I'm, I, I don't have my pilot's license, which people can't believe, but, um, you know, I've been around flight my whole, I mean, my brother was a military pilot. My dad had a plane and I, I've been flying since I was a kid and I got friends who have planes and uh, I'd have no problem getting in a plane, you know, I've uh, got like 80 hours in an MU2. Uh, a friend of mine uh, lived next door, flew one and I would fly with him pretty regularly. So uh, 
but of course it was all about getting the kids out of the house and getting them into school. And that's, that's kind of done now. So as that's looming on the horizon and I'm sitting here thinking, well, I, I should really think about taking some fly on medicines now that I'm having time and I, I have some hours, but I need to finish it up. Uh, I have found myself desiring to fly an X plane, uh, but can't seem to make it happen. So yeah, we'll see. <laughs> wow. Wow. I mean, uh, wider question. Um, the elephant in the room that's coming up in the sim community. Uh, any, any thoughts on Microsoft 2020 at all? Uh, I mean, it's only going to be speculative. I mean, uh, we've talked about it. My whole thoughts are, well, you know, X-Plane walks to its own drum and we've been through this before, uh, when we came in, uh, those guys are doing a spectacular job. Um, I have really kind of two thoughts on it. Mm. The, there's only so much detail you can you can put in uh, th that we have come to enjoy uh, on a close up level, right? So if if they've got a great uh, engine that generates killer scenery, then the closer you get to the ground, trying to make that really accurate is is I'm curious to see how that's going to be done. Uh, you can't. There's just no way you're going to model the fidelity of every airport around the world. You say, oh well, this you know this this signs here and this has got a door and it's got a custom business sign. I, you just, you just can't get to that level on the round the world. You'd literally have millions and millions of, so I'm curious how they're going to do that. But, uh, that's just a curiosity. At the end of the day, people have aircraft they want to fly. And if that aircraft is going to be an X plane, then they're going to fly X plane. Uh, if it's in Microsoft, they're going to fly Microsoft. If, Somebody came out with a systems death with the sounds like we did, and they came out with a 737-300 in 2020, uh, then we might have a problem. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, we've got other planes, uh, believe it or not, that, that I think, I don't want to say we as an IXCG. I know that there are other planes being developed for X-Plane. That's a better way to say it that probably are not going to get developed for, for Microsoft. And, and these are good study level products that are coming online. So um, I think a lot of us old timers feel in the end of the day, it's, it's like any other program. It's a tool. I'll probably get both and I'll fly whatever I feel like flying at the time. Wow. Now, would you ever consider porting that over there? The, X, the IXCG? I, I'm not sure because I don't know the tool chain. It's only speculative. Um, at this point. Uh, now, that being said, I haven't even bothered to look into, um, it seems like they're working with some developers and there's a program where you can do that. But to be honest with you, I haven't looked into, we, we have a, uh, we have enough to deal with on this side. Uh, I, I may look at it one day. I don't, I, I just couldn't answer that question. I, I just couldn't answer that question. Um, with, it, it is too early. And uh, uh, I, I don't know if they're working with some of the other guys, you know, Laminar's pretty stalwart when they come up with new stuff nobody gets special treatment right you have to wait everybody has to wait the same <laughs> so i don't know that that's going on on the other side um but it may be it, it, it may be um so yeah my take on it my, my end all be all is i'm not thinking about porting it to it at this time uh people are going to fly whatever aircraft they're going to want to fly if it's an x-plane it's an x-plane so uh, our take is uh, we got plenty of work to do on this side we're going to keep towing the line and uh, and we'll cross that bridge when we get there. So something I wanted to know uh, a few questions ago, but um, my audio unexpectedly failed, so I wasn't able to ask, ask it, but I'm back now. What is one of 
the features that you guys have on that 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 large list that you are the most excited to implement? Like, what are you excited to see users use in your aircraft? Oh, uh, that that's easy. I mean, that's that's the VNAV and the holds. <laughs> I mean, that's you know, I'm the FMS guy, and I uh, I had to try to you know piece that together with a couple of shortcomings. One was my lack of of uh, had three shortcomings that's contributed to it. My, my kind of lack of knowledge of how it worked. The data set that we were working with uh, format was not really conducive to, to building a vertical route. It's not insurmountable. Um, it, it, it had a few complexities. And then believe it or not, um, I, I just wasn't as good as a coder back then as I, as I am now. So yeah. I, I look at that code, you know, when people say, well, you got to take out the you know, you have to take out the restrictions and then you can do it. And I'm like, you know, I wrote that in there, but then I go back and look and it's like, well, my, my parsing routines weren't very good. You know, they weren't picking up on, on, on some of the combinations of letters. And I look back that and think, how could I, how could I have missed that? So amateur. And, and now it's so trivial a a thing to do. So uh, that's one thing I would definitely love to get in. I'm, 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 I'm not going to say I'm on the fence. There's a part of me that's, it needs to be done now. There's a part of me that wished I could do it with the new XP11 framework that I have in place, but uh, I just can't. I need to. I need to move forward quickly for customers uh, with what we have now. So uh, regarding the holes, that's that's kind of an interesting story. People are like, can you do holes? This this is not a joke. I was asking. <laughs> I asked. I was asking Jan, and I met two pilots on aircraft when I was working on the holes. It, you know, doing the holes wasn't a problem. The problem was drawing the entry. And whether or not it even drew the entry, <laughs> I would ask Jan, I said, Jan, does this thing draw the, the entry route? And he didn't know. He couldn't remember the last time he had flown a hole. I ended up talking to two Southwest pilots. <laughs> One time I was sitting next to him and I asked him, he goes, you know, I don't know if it does or not. I think it does because <laughs> I've never noticed <laughs> otherwise. And it really was not about doing the holds. It was about drawing the entry to the holds uh, and doing the algorithms because I had actually tested some code for holds on procedural holds. And uh, I had it working at one point. I don't, I don't know that it works now. Something, something went south. And, uh, but of course, we released it and I moved on before I got a chance to, to work on the entry pattern. Now, since then, it's like, yes, we do have the entry patterns. Those do need to exist. And now that I know that, uh, then basically I can use the same techniques I used to draw the rest of the LNAP uh, to draw those entry patterns and get the holes in place. So it, it's, uh, that's, that's kind of how that ended up. Um, it was an outstanding, we didn't have an answer to it. And uh, by the time we did, uh, I was off on the NASA stuff and, and that's, that's where, it, that's, that's how it happened. That's how it went down. Isn't holes kind of like VNAV uh, as far as the real world, as far as I've heard from pilots, like, they rarely use holes and they rarely use VNAV in the real world. Well, cer- certainly holes are less common in the real world. I mean, if you think about it, holes are just expensive. Nobody wants to hold them in the real world. And it's, it's, uh, yeah. of, of course it's done, you know, with weather, but with RNAV nowadays, uh, even that's somewhat minimized, you know, in other words, they'd rather keep you, uh, you know, with flow control, they'd rather keep you on the tarmac at your departure airport than put you in the air and make you hold. Right. And so, right. so yeah, holding's not something, uh, they want to minimize it. So yeah, a lot of pilots can do it without holding, uh, VNAV. I, I can't speak. I've only got Jan's word on it. Uh, but I will say that his, his sentiment is echoed by a lot of pilots. Uh, 
you, you know, the way they learn, you know, VNAV is a, is a pretty high degree of automation and sophistication. And a, a lot of guys, by the time they get into an aircraft that, that has a real VNAV autopilot versus, you know, what they call advisory VNAV that just gives you the indicator, but you still have to fly it. Uh, a lot of guys by that time, um, you know, can do their descent calculations uh, using other means and they're comfortable with it. Uh, so they don't necessarily um, use it. Jan is quite a student of the FMS, in my opinion. Uh, he, he can, uh, I've seen him fly flights that other people said that, that it was broken and, and he's got this deft management of speed, some other things to keep it within parameters. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. Other people hear the podcast, oh, that's no excuse. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he's right. He's right. Uh, there's a lot of things on VNAV that, um, I see every developer fighting the VNAV where they constantly update and change it and never can get to this point where it's just 100% perfect because you have t tailwinds and stuff. We are fighting, believe it or not, we're fighting procedure designers. Now, that, that may sound crazy. So there you know, they're, they're are guys in the real world that have to go out and they have to design a procedure and, and they'll have these conflicting um, restrictions that they'll try to come up with the best now. And that... That procedure will get published and then it'll end up getting encoded somewhere and then Navigraph will, will, you know, extract it and send it down to us. So we would have these, um, you know, there are papers out there on, on the theory of a VNAV descent. And, uh, you know, the perfect VNAV descent would be, oh, you, you bring the engines back to idle and you coast all the way down to the, the, the threshold. That's minimum fuel. But you start throwing a few restrictions in there. Uh, you know, that you got to uh, fly at 5,000 feet for the length of this approach or this, the star, then it, you're never going to be able to do that. And we would have to ask these questions is, okay, do you descend now to the 5,000 feet and fly 5,000 feet? Cause the higher you fly, the more efficient, or do you fly to the point where the last possible point where you cut the power and you glide and you'll cross that waypoint at exactly 5,000 feet. And it's, it's, a very, it's, it's kind of a challenging, it, it's a challenging thing to do. And then, you put a, and then you put a disco or a vector that's got like this infinite leg, then I don't think people understand that sometimes we're having to calculate uh, VNAV, uh, and it's not always easy. In other words, there's minimum requirements. I think to calculate VNAV, you have to have, you have, to have an altitude, you, it, the whole thing starts with an altitude uh, right? because you have to work backwards from an altitude to where you are to know where your descents are and to start your descents. And if there's a disco in there, then you can't calculate VNAV from, let's say, the airport threshold. You have to you have to do it on the upstream side of the disco because that's your last known. And if there's no altitude restriction, you can't even calculate that. Yeah. So there's a lot of factors that and then you that's just one procedure. And then next thing you know, you got 300,000 procedures and you're trying to you're trying to accommodate them all or how many ever there are. Uh, you might end up coding that works great for one procedure, but then you get in another part of the world where all the procedures have a similar pattern and you find out that what you did doesn't work for that pattern. And uh, you've been you know flying these procedures in America for a month tuning it. You haven't even touched flying in, you know, Indonesia. And the minute, yeah, and the minute yeah, a customer good. buys it in Indonesia and he's like, your VNAV sucks, it broke. <laughs> and you're like, sorry, yeah, sorry, man. I flew 482 procedures over here. I didn't get to the ones over there. So th those, these are the realities of, of we deal with. And it's not until you get down on that really number level to where you're like, man, this thing's just tough. 
and yeah. and then you and then you got all these rules that when you overwrite, you know, uh, well, I'm going to shortcut. And it's like, well, if you're going to shortcut, then you know, do you want to do you want the beam points or don't you? And uh, Jan and I had a, we had a <laughs> we had this one difficult situation where if you had a route that had the same waypoint name twice. And these are things that most people don't think about. Remember that the, the nominal stuff is easy. It's the oddball stuff yeah. that makes coding so difficult. But we would right. encounter these goofy situations where it'd be like, oh, there's a name twice and you want to put in a, a, a you know, conditional. And it was having problems trying to figure out. It was a shortcut situation. And the code would have to go through and say, oh, he's, this point already exists in the route. But there was two of them. It was like in there twice. And I uh, couldn't remember what it was. I just remember thinking, you know, this seems so s simple, but it, but it made it really difficult for the code to parse. So, you know, you learn from that. And that's that's part of the uh, that's why going with a new data structure that's more Eric 424 based. I'm, I'm so excited about it. It allows me to, to um, include data, uh, this extra data that the current data set doesn't. And with the extra data, it'll help me be able to. Um, do these routes exactly like the real FMS does. So, so definitely, this is your favorite part of the airplane that you're looking forward to then. Yeah, yeah, that was kind yeah. of a long diatribe. No, 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 no. I'm listening intently. It's great. Well, to be honest with you, I, I, I love it all. I mean, um, I can't wait uh, because I know, I, I know how well our models are uh, on, on the cabin. People don't see it in the doors, but I know how much detail and I know what I'm going to put into it. And uh, I'm, and it's like, if I can, no, not if, when I get this out and to the vision that it's in my head, the people are just going to love it. I mean, I'm going to love it. I'm doing it for myself and people are going to love it too. So th there's a lot of cool um, stuff that we want to do. And eventually we want the whole airplane to look like the, the cockpit. That's, that's the goal. So if you look at that and look at all the detail and say, well, they're not going to stop until that's over the entire aircraft, including the, uh, you know, the wheel well. Then, mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned, we have something to do. We have something to keep working towards. Um, so, so we're going to do that. That's that's the plan for the 3D. And then beyond that, you say, what's beyond that? Well, we, you know, the, we we need to think about cargo variants and 400 and 500 variants. Oh, you know, these are these are these people ask, well, where do you go from here? And that's you know, that's the answer. Uh, so the goal is to get this plane with that that. Fidelity that I mentioned earlier, uh, visual fidelity, aural fidelity, um, maxed out just about everywhere we can. And so uh, I'm just excited about, you know, every bit of it. But it, it will, I'll be happy to get the VNAV fixed for, for the customer base. There's a lot of guys that fly online uh, and, and they rely on it. You know, the controllers are always giving them alternate um, uh, flight paths. And the, the, the VNAV is just, it's just buggy on the descent. Yeah. Uh, I have to say, you know, as a, as a frequent flyer of it, or, um, I'm, you know, I've done many, so many flights of this airplane. I mean, I've over, I've overlooked whatever deficiencies you think it might have. I don't see them except the VNAV thing or the FMS thing. And once that's out, you are a hundred percent in my book. You know what I mean? When we develop it, we have to do a couple of test routes. And I can't remember where I was doing them, but I can tell you there are other people that, that think it works great and have good luck with it. And the only thing I would say to that is, well, that's simple. They're flying the routes that I used to develop it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and it's by sheer coincidence. But there are several, and more in America than anywhere else, 
where I kid you not, I'd come down and I would, I'd be in route and I would just put the hands behind my head. It would hit top descent and it would end up over the threshold. And, uh, but these were very specific. That's, you know, it's, these are waypoints that didn't have double restrictions. They might've had just below restrictions. Uh, you start putting double in my code would, would start to balk, but somewhere around the world, there are procedures that have the right combos of, of, uh, restrictions where VNAV will perform pretty well. Hey. I don't mind. I don't mind the challenge at all to take over the airplane and v-speed it myself and hand fly the rest of it if I have to. It just gives it more excitement. Dan, it's it's not insurmountable. I mean, Jan will be the first to tell you. He says, you know, once you've done it a lot, and he knows the theory. It's not a big deal for him to take it over and still fly the, you know, the path. But of course, he's he's. I think I don't know. He's got eight thousand hours in that thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's nothing he can't. And so him, it doesn't phase him, but. And you can catch this tone in the forums. Uh, uh, and I think he's right to some degree. It, it's, it's cool to watch. It's fun to watch. Um, people, re people rely on it. And, and for that reason, it's, we really need to make it happen. And to me, there's a technical challenge, right? The engineer in me is like, I'm, I got to get this right. So, yeah. so it's, it's going to happen. We're, we're going to keep working on it. Uh, but I honestly, uh, when people say that it's, it's a deal breaker for them, I, 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 I I don't know what to say. I, I think that there's a lot of the product that they're probably overlooking that's pretty good. There's a part of me that wants to say, fine, I'll, you know, we'll get VNAV working and we'll send you a 3D model of a brick and you can VNAV <laughs> that brick down into the airport and I'm sure you'll be, it, and, you'll, and then you'll be happy. And uh, so my, my, my being facetious there, my point is that I, we still feel like the product still has quite a bit of value and uh, we're still going to continue to work on it. And, and make that work for everybody. I'm not a big VNAV guy myself. It's, yeah. but I, I got to fly out a lot in VNAV to make it happen. So um, the biggest thing for us will be lessons learned. I'm, um, I know a lot more about VNAV than I have. Uh, read up a lot on theory since then. It's, it's kind of one of these things when you look back and you say, it's so clear to me now, I don't know why it wasn't clear to me then. Uh, so it's just a matter of going back and, and cleaning it all. Absolutely. Well. I'm, I am very excited to see what you guys keep on doing and I, I, I please keep on doing the monthly updates. I don't care what other people say. <laughs> it's, it's really great. Um, and it gives you something to look forward to. And, um, Jan's videos are great and, um, you guys are really great. And Norm and I are two big fans talking to you. Um, and I know it's been a, a blast talking to you for this past hour. So well, we appreciate your support. We, we know there's naysayers and it, it's important that, uh, you know, that we know that there's uh, still people out there that can, that can appreciate it and uh, keep it going because, um, you know, those, those cells fund our time. They, they literally translate yeah. into hours I can spend fixing the FMS or doing the next round of 3D. So uh, the good thing about, you know, the monthly updates is there's enough 3D to go around where uh, we can get uh, quite a bit done every month. So if, if nothing else, then I believe that we can at least do 3D on a regular basis uh, and make it look a little bit better. That's not to say we won't be working on, on the, the software of the FMS. Uh, like I said, that's just a longer straw, a little bigger ticket. So it, it'll go, it goes on in parallel while that's happening. And then, uh, and then of course, you'll wake up one day and there'll be an update with, uh, you know, holding and FMS VNAV uh, fixes for everybody to, to test drive. Oh, yeah. Woo! Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. It'll just happen. Yeah. You'll, just get, you'll get the email one day. Wait, what? You, you got to be joking. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean?
<laughs> now this is this has been great i appreciate the time you take you've taken here with us i just need to remember to keep setting those six um speed dial setting things that you guys make me do all the time which is fun anyway you know I can't oh, oh, with you the guys speed dial. oh you never did ask me about the reverse scroll wheel oh yeah so, yeah tell the story about the reverse scroll wheel why it was reversed had nobody caught it well yeah it, why it, did it, reverse? it really is i i am i'm gonna i'm gonna blame yawn for that one <laughs> so uh so i i don't i don't use a, a traditional mouse now there's going to be a jillion people that are going to look me in the face. It's like, well, you develop products, you should be keeping a mouse next to you. And the answer to that is he's absolutely right. Truth of the matter is I, I do have a regular mouse with a scroll wheel, uh, but I lend it out to my daughter. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I use a trackball, right? And the trackball uses a horizontal scroll wheel. So there is no up because if you're right-handed, one side is up. If you use it left-handed, then the other side is up. Uh, and of course it comes with some fancy software so I can configure the direction on a per application basis. So basically I go into, but I usually don't do that. I usually do it globally. So I use the blender, but because it's a left and right score wheel, the concept of zooming is not the same as it might be for a regular mouse where somebody says, Oh, you know, if you scroll up, you need to zoom in. And some people are like, no, I scroll back because I'm pulling the objects to me. Right. And, and yeah. so, and so, well, that's why you can configure it because it, it works with however you want your brain to work it with. So I've, I've got this scroll wheel and I had reversed it, uh, for my zoom direction in blender, which is, you know, where I'm spending 80, 80% of my time going into the, the updates. And, uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm sitting there thinking, <laughs> and I remember trying it the first time typing in the information I thought I did and I did. And the switch was backwards. I'm like, you know, why the heck is the switchback? So I reversed the number and my mind was, everybody can make fun. Of it. I don't know where my mind was. I reversed the number and that should have been my first clue. <laughs> yeah. But I just, I didn't think about it. It worked. Next thing you know, Jan's, uh, you know, everything works good. And I didn't know he wasn't trying it with the right scroll mouse. So whoever, <laughs> whoever uh, honked about it, that quality control. Uh, but that's when I, I kind of told Jan, I, they're like, how can you forget that? But if I were to sit you down and say, okay, look, we're going over 500 manipulators. We're switching them. And then I show you the fields, right? And I go, there are six fields. I got to look at each one of them one by one. You start doing the math and it's like, yeah, it's great. I just had to check 4,000 things today. And, and that's just <laughs> yeah. the manips. And, 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 and so, yeah, your mind is all over the place. You're, you're not just looking at the scroll wheel direction. You, you know, you're making sure the data ref, your animations aren't working. And it did. It, it, it just slipped through the cracks because I have this horizontal scroll wheel uh, that was reversed. So the concept of, of up and down just just didn't hit me. Don't don't take the blame all yourself. Jan said it. He goes, I prefer. He said, I prefer to drag. Yeah. Well, and I know that he uses that kind of mouse. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm like, man, are you backwards? What's what's going on with that? <laughs> so, uh, you, you know, and the thought was and. And, you know, we fixed it within half a day. We did have to go back. And, but as, as it turned out, it was a great exercise because working with the VR guys, we had to bring all our manipulators into the, the modern times. Um, you know, we developed this thing God, 10 years ago and most of the manipulators that we, we have, we didn't have back then. So we coded our own behaviors. Um, the good news is they've been reliable for a lot of years, but they, they didn't support some of the latest features. So that whole exercise with the reverse forced us to go through every single manipulator and we cleaned up a lot of them, got them VR. So this, this update will include a VR config file, even though VR is a minority, 
um, it still forced us to evaluate every single one. And uh, we cleaned up quite a bit of them so they feel more natural. The, the mouse follows the handles exactly through their movement now, stuff like that. Um, so it, it was a little, a little embarrassing, but a good exercise uh, for everybody in the end. It, it, it forced us to improve uh, a lot of that stuff. And uh, I think everybody's going to kind of like it uh, here on the next update. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I love how you guys are handling it. I love just from the videos alone and from your explanations, you know, I can see that you guys are working long and hard, but having some good times doing it, you know, instead of stressing over stuff. It's it's quite a bit of work. Uh, I think the one thing that, that, you know, that we have to deal with is um, I, I really don't think people <laughs> I really don't people know how tough an FMS can be. Um, you know, case in point, uh, we're doing the, these conditional waypoints, which. Uh, this update will include one. There's a little bug in it, but people are used to living without it. Um, and we still have more to put in. But I was writing up the code, and I was thinking there, there was these little challenging points. So just for grins, I decided to crack open X-Planes FMS and try it, uh, enter the same data, and it didn't do, any, it, it didn't do anything right. It, it didn't display them right, didn't sequence them right. And it's like, okay, I'm not the only one. Uh, and, and I'm a good friend. Of, I mean, uh, and, and I know Phil relatively well. Um, but you know, FMS is a pretty complex beast and, and we have a lot of, uh, I'm proud of a lot of code that nobody's ever going to see, uh, on what it can do in the background. Uh, but, but you just kind of have to acknowledge that's the way it goes and you, you have to, at the end, you have to keep the customers happy. So, uh, is what it is. Absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. All right. <clears throat> so 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 thankful that you had the chance to stop and talk to us about what's going on in um in the ixcg 73 classic i mean love the classic love the steam gates and everything and um look forward to having you guys come back on board and come up with new announcements and things like that love the fact that you're committed to it way further than i even thought now with the cabin stuff and so forth and so on so thank you so much for being on with us yeah, thank you. And um, I know we're both looking forward to everything that you guys have in store. Um, so thank you so much for all of that. And it's been great speaking to you. Thank you, Saul. And best, uh, best of luck to you guys. And uh, once again, appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you uh, some other time.